Welcome to Inclusion Matters, produced by the Center for Inclusive Child Care, aka the CICC. We're located at inclusivechildcare.org. Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast of the Center for Inclusive Child Care. I'm Cindy Croft, Director of the Center, and I'm here with Priscilla Weigel, an inclusion consultant with the Center. Welcome, Priscilla. Glad to be back, and we are thrilled once again to have Pat Police, the Director of Autism Services for Fraser, and she is kind of leading us in this detailed discussion in our past podcast about just the process of a diagnosis for a child who would, you know, fall within the category of concerns for um, having autism, and then kind of today what we'd like to do is to move on to the point of, okay, let's say a child does receive a diagnosis. When and how do you determine the the perfect setting or the ideal setting? Because, you know, our listeners are really out there kind of in the trenches working with children on a day-to-day basis, and some of them are overwhelmed. Some of them, you know, may look at a child in their care and say, this child shouldn't be here. You know, so how do you as a diagnoser and, you know, supporter of these sure. families, what, what do you say then when you hand them that diagnosis? What's kind of the next step? Sure. The next step is really putting uh, pieces uh, together in that whole puzzle about, okay, here's what we've identified as strengths and areas of needs, and then how can we translate that into practical daily life? And one of the things we talked about before is how important it is not to uh, suggest that every child with this autism label looks the same, requires the same, and that's what makes it so complex. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it's probably good, uh, from my point of view, because you don't use the label to guide you forward as much as you look at that individual child. So having said that, uh, we also talked about uh, autism may not always be an interfering factor, that Mm -hmm. um, in early childhood development, some of these children have excellent memories, and they're great at video games, and their peers admire them to sure. uh, an infinite degree. But that's not always the case either. There are some children who can't uh, perhaps make it in a more inclusive kind of setting. So one of the things that we often look at is, you know, what does an inclusive setting offer for, offer for very young children? And many times there's the notion that um, being put, a child that might have special needs, being put in an inclusive setting can get kind of a cognitive push by imitating their Mm -hmm. peers Mm -hmm. in their setting. But one of the issues with children with autism is they may not have some of the skills that are necessary to know that they need to imitate in order to learn, or that behavior may not have meaning for them. And so to put a child in a setting where they can't use their eye contact to see what another child is doing, or they see what another child is doing but they're not motivated to please others, because that might be one of the core symptoms, then you've immersed a child in a setting that might self-isolate or go off into the corner. They're not getting the meaning that we really need them to get in order to remain there. Mm -hmm. So um, while there are many benefits to being in a, a setting, um, with other children. Some of them are social, some of them are more routine or sequencing, uh, some of them are more language models. There's a whole host of reasons that a child with autism should be placed within an inclusive setting. Those children that aren't making it usually start to show behaviors. Mm-hmm. Either they start self-isolating um, and or they become provocative. They like uh, to do things repeatedly so the train goes down the track and if they get a huge response by 
by jumping on the bookshelf and sure. um, playing Superman and reciting some of their movie scripts and their peers are really engaging in that, that's not the most conducive, right. as you can imagine, for right. a preschool classroom. So those are the kinds of kids we want to start working within the setting that they're in, the, most, uh, the least restrictive setting. Can we provide some aid support? Can we provide some structure? Can we decrease the stimulation? Can we use some visual tools, some scripts to help with some of those strategies? Mm -hmm. If we can do that to make it a successful classroom, we always prefer that. Okay. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen a child in a clinic setting and I've been concerned of the, uh, with their needs, but you go to a daycare or preschool setting where there's a great teacher, there's a great environment, there's high structure, and they flourish. Mm -hmm. But great. those children that don't, um, the leaders, the teachers, the parents, they have that feeling. They're not quite sure. Mm -hmm. And to tweak it, to try to give it a go, but some children really need a more restrictive setting. And what I like to think about is that's just a stepping point. We don't feel like that's going to be like that their whole educational career. Okay. We want to build the skills to really get them back in. Sure. I like that philosophy a lot. So they might be in this setting for a period of time, always with an eye towards a inclu more inclusive setting for the child. And I think that's a great philosophy. And I think being fluid, not to think of that it's just this setting um, and that's your choice. I always tell parents, we, let's start here. Sure. And if it's not working, your child will let us know. Yes. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we'll have a, a good observant eye. Your child will let us know. And then we'll just tweak it. Uh, nothing is ever for certain. In fact, in child <clears throat> development, I think we need to rely on the notion that it's ever changing, Definitely. that it's not going to stay the same. So we're really obligated to look and relook and look again to mm -hmm. make sure that the child's needs are being met. And while I know there's no real, I mean, there's such a variance. Every child is unique and, and settings are unique. Could you give us some ideas or sort of tips on, you know, if I, if I have a child care program, you know, and I, and I have a child who does have a diagnosis of autism or, or something within that spectrum, you know, what might I want to sort of be looking at? And I know, again, we're talking in a very broad sense because the child will have unique needs, but what might I want to do with my setting that in general terms? And I know this would be probably good for all children as well. Yes, it is the case. I think these strategies are great for all children, and you know what? They're great for adults, too. Yeah, that's <laughs> they for keep sure. us on track. So if I uh, were uh, looking for a child care setting, one of the things I would look at is, you know, what is the flexibility to accommodate to this child's needs? Mm -hmm. And so thinking it's always better to be preventative than reactive. This population has really great memories and so if they start, the, again, the train down the track with some maladaptive behavior patterns, those are going to be much harder to break than if we pre-plan and get things in place beforehand. So uh, if a child were to start a, a daycare, child care setting, I would be looking at high structure, very clear periods of time that have definite starts and beginnings, and very clear transitions. A lot of the typical uh, preschool transitional techniques, you know, doing the clapping games, mm -hmm. uh, lights on and off, singing during transitions, those are wonderful, predictable, mm -hmm. consistent ways to help the child uh, who might have some language processing uh, associated with autism spectrum. 
Um, stimulation is really important on both ends. Some kids are cravers, some are avoiders. So looking at the sounds and the noise level and making sure there's some ability to look at that throughout the day and offering a variety. You actually, to work on self-regulation, you want to rev things up and then slow it back down and give practice. So it's not that you have to avoid it totally, but you mm -hmm. want to see some ability to uh, control that over time. Um, some uh, simplicity to the schedule, making sure that it's clear from an observer that you understand. Is it snack time? Is it sensory time? And that can be done just by watching um, the group move, but it can also be what you can do that by watching how the room is set up. Are there colored tables or animal corners or is there a visual schedule? And all of those can be incorporated really quite easily. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing that I would say is that having a plan for transitioning into is as important as anything else. So starting the child with a very clear routine so that um, they might go during a time that's highly structured and start with some success rather than a full long day where it might not be predictable about when mom and dad are coming mm -hmm. uh, to pick them up. Any child has difficulty with that kind of transition, but time is really difficult for the uh, children that I work with. And they need to know um, and establish some very specific routines. For example, separation can be difficult uh, for many children because of the emotional uh, component, but for our children, oftentimes the emotional component is felt through some of the objects and the routines they mm -hmm. do with their parents. So oftentimes we recommend to families, you know, uh, grab a puzzle from the classroom and when the child leaves on their first day or before they start, get a puzzle piece and have something the child really likes to do. Um, when you go visit the daycare, do that puzzle and then take the piece home with you and so then the next day when you arrive, the child's purpose uh, for walking into the preschool classroom or the child care classroom is to put that puzzle piece back. Mm -hmm. That will make that transition easier sure. because there's much more predictability around it. It helps with the separation with the parent. You still coach and do all those other emotional supportive things you would with other children, but you connect it with a visual or an object. Mm -hmm. um, and then develop that ritual or routine with the child every day so that they have a clear understanding about how to make that transition that can be so difficult. Oh, that's a great idea. Well, and, and another thing that that does, too, is it takes the, it changes the focus of that transition. Yes. It's, we need to put that puzzle piece back yes. instead of, oh, here comes this really hard time where you have to say goodbye to mom and dad. Yes. So, it, I mean, and, and that is something that works for all children, yes. especially young children who are going through that separation piece, too. Oh, oh, wonderful. This is great. Wonderful oh, we, we've enjoyed this so much. Um, and this will conclude our podcast today. But we do have another topic we'd still like to uh, talk with you about if you're willing. Great. I'd love and to. So One we'll more installment. Yes. So thank you both so much for being here. And uh, we'll be back uh, with another um, podcast about uh, children with autism. Great. That's all for now. See you next time.